Second Chronicles chapter 15. Today I want to share a word with you called repairing the altar. And this concept first came to me when I was uh, reading about the the struggle between Elijah and the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And as they were going through that kind of epic struggle in which the prophets of Baal were cutting themselves and calling fire from heaven and doing all these things, in the middle of that passage in 1 Kings 18, verse 30, you can look on the screen with me, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And that phrase really grabbed me. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And, and honestly, I thought that was going to be my text. But in studying, the text actually took me to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 15, which is where we're going to spend time in today. And perhaps we'll look at a later time at that story again. But that, that phrase really grabbed me. And the first thing we need to establish is what is an altar? Because there's a lot of misconceptions. A lot of times we think an altar is a slab of wood put at the front of a church. And, and that would actually be descriptive in some ways. But that is actually symbolic of a higher meaning. It's almost like a, the altars we have in the church is more of a physical symbol of a spiritual concept. That the altar, of course our altars here are like stairs with carpet on them, but um, it's more of the symbolic fact of this is the altar is a place of connection with God. And it first started with Noah. And Noah built an altar to the Lord and then on to Abraham and on through the Bible that altars were built. And uh would love to get into the significance of that. And Kim Driver actually has a fantastic teaching on the altar uh, and the higher point of this, without getting into all the different scriptures that would be too exhaustive today, is this. is The altar was a place where men connected with God, and they did so on God's terms, because God was very particular. And he said, this is how you're going to build the altar, and this is what the size of it's going to be, and this is what you're going to place on the altar. And God was very particular, and he set up his own terms and said, this is how you connect with me. And in the contemporary church, sometimes uh, we look at it the other way. We're always trying to get God to fit into people's lives and to fit into people's schedules and to become palatable to people. And we're trying to make God uh, come to people. But the altar is us going to God on his terms and what he wants. And I think it's good that we establish that. Because I am going to use that symbolic of what I believe God is doing in the spiritual realm is that he is repairing the altar and he's rebuilding the altar and he's calling his church back to the altar. And that's not necessarily a physical place in the church, though it can be. It's a attitude of the heart because the altar is a place of worship. The altar is a place of sacrifice. The altar is a place of commitment and sanctification. An altar is a place of purity. And God is calling his church back to the altar. And it's an attitude of the heart, not a location in the room. And he says, I want my people to be set apart for me, worshiping me, making sacrifices for me. And it's often that people forget the altar. And instead, we get focused. The enemy comes in and begins to deceive us and causes us to get focused on all types of things that are not God's intention for the church. 
Can I tell you that the church is full of strife? The church is full of conflict because men and women are striving for earthly power in the church. They're striving for personal significance in the church. And there's always strife. And here's the problem. And here's where I want to caution you. And I want to caution you this because I believe God wants to send his peace to his church. And he wants to send a time of rest. And he wants to send a time of establishment. But here's the problem is when we become addicted to war and we become addicted to conflict and we become addicted to dysfunction and we become addicted to things that we begin to think is why the church exists. And we think, well, that's just the way the church is. Can I tell you that might be the way the church has been, but it's not the way. God wants his church to be because he is calling us back to the altar. And when we have our knee at the altar, we don't have time to mess with other people's business and we don't have time to live in strife. We don't have time to live in contention that we are focused on what God has called us to do and be from the beginning is to connect with him, to worship, to sacrifice, to be the type of person he wants us to be. So we start off today in First Second Chronicles chapter 15, and we're going to read the whole chapter uh, because uh, I think that will help us give reference. And it says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him. And he, he was found by them. And in those days it was not safe to travel about. It was not, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another and one city by another because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. Once I get about midway through that last sentence, just push a button there until I get my Bible open. But as for you, this is now, this is the, the prophet speaking to the king. As for you, be strong and do not give up for your work will be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Azariah, son of Obed, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. That's our key phrase that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon who had settled among them. For a large number had come over to him from Israel when they saw the Lord his God was with him. They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. At that time, they sacrificed to the Lord 700 head of cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had assembled, they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. And all who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. And they took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. And all Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Don't you like that phrase? I mean, that's the end of the sermon. That's where we're going. The Lord gave them rest on every side. King Asa also disposed his grandmother from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive 
Asherah pole. Nasa cut the pole down and broke it up and burned it in the Kidron Valley. And although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. And I just want to say this, is that I just believe that one of the things the Lord is speaking to the church and speaking to our church in particular is that there should be no more war. There's a time God sends his peace and God sends his reign. And, you know, when God is reigning, he is the prince of peace. And and he has called us as his people to be peacemakers. It says those who he said, those who show peace will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will see God everywhere we go. We should bring peace, but there will not be peace if we're not at the altar. If we're not at the place of sacrifice, if we're not at the place of worship, if we're not at the place where God has called us to be, there will not be peace and there will not be something great. Now, Asa, just go back to chapter 15, verse 1. Asa the king had just had a remarkable victory. He had just done something great. He had done something great for God and he was on a high. I mean, he was... Um, was popular and significant because of the victory he had just led the Israelites through. And when Azariah came, you have to understand Azariah was a lesser known prophet. He was not well known and it was with very, very much with boldness that he approached the king. This is something that took courage and it took heart. And we pick it back up in verse one. It says, the spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Obed, and he went to meet Asa and that's, and said to him, and that was a bold statement. Now, here is this bold statement. He, he did something bold. And, and, and hear what he says. He says, listen to me and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. That's a remarkable statement in its simplicity. The Lord is with you when you are with him. He was basically saying, listen, you just got the victory and you just conquered the, the army and you are at a place of, of high esteem and high popularity and you're at a place where God's hand and anointing is on you. And so as a prophet of the Lord, I'm coming to you, king, and with boldness, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you that the Lord is with you when you are with him. It was almost like he was coming against a preemptive strike against the pride that could come on Asa's life. And going on there, and it says, If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I want you to write it down if you're taking notes. The altar matters because our efforts and obedience determines our nearness to God. A very simplistic statement, just as simple as the prophet speaking to the king Asa, but it's something we have to remember over and over again. And you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. You are as close to God as you want to be. You know, we give the devil way too much credit. We give circumstances way way too much credit. We are people of excuses. We are people that we justify. We're people who are always blaming everybody but ourselves. You see, God is available to us. He's made himself available. His presence is available. His spirit is available. He is wanting to communicate and be close to us. And the choice is not his. He has, by his grace and sovereign power, given us the choice 
And he said that if you seek now, look at verse verse two again, the power of those simple words. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. This concept is all through the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse twenty nine says you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jeremiah. 29.13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Matthew chapter 7 verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Why do we need to rebuild the altar? Re- rebuild the altar of our hearts rebuild the altar of prayer in the church, rebuild the altar of connection with God, is because if we don't put the effort and if we're not obedient from God, we will drift from God. He, by His grace and by His power and by His choice, has put He has put the burden upon us. And He has said, my grace is available to you. And my grace is available to you, but here are the avenues I've set before you. And I just want to encourage you, listen, some of you, you've lost the altar in your life. You've lost that place of connection, that simple place where you are getting alone with God, where you are setting your heart apart from God. And there's turmoil in your life and there's hard things in your life and you feel distant from people and things and God and church and all that type of stuff. And can I tell you that the first place to go is to rebuild the altar. Get back to the place of sacrifice. Get back to the place of commitment. Get back to the place of prayer. Get back to the place, the simple things, the things that God has designed. Because God has said, you come to me. This is the way you come to me. And we're always wanting God to come to us. God, you you know, Lord, if you give me a financial miracle, then I'll start seeking you. If you give me a healing, then I'll start seeking you. If you give me a promotion, then I'll start seeking you. Can I tell you that we're not to seek his hand. We're not to seek his pleasures. We're to seek his face and to go after him and go after what he wants and who he is and build that altar in our hearts so we're at the place that God wants us to be. So picking it up in verse 4. is Now, Asa, the, the prophet's talking to Asa. And, and he starts in verse 3, excuse me. And he begins to tell Asa a story. And it's a story of encouragement. I mean, they didn't have life away in Zondervan in those days. So uh, there was a lot of storytelling happening. And they would sing their stories and tell their stories. And that was the word of God to them. Even though they had scribes and things like that. But, but retelling the acts of God was much the word of God to them. So starting in verse 3, he says, For a long time, he tells a story, Israel was without the true God and without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. Verse 5, in those days it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. 6, one nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But look at 7. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. 
Here he was, and the prophet was encouraging him, and he said, there was a time when God wasn't moving. There was a time where there was no priest, there was no word. There was a time when people were struggling and the cities were desolate. But that time has passed, and God saw the people through. And God, he turned his heart towards the people, and he restored their fortunes, and he made all things new. There was a time that things weren't going good, but they changed and God changed it and all of a sudden that brought encouragement to this leader's life and in 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 he said in verse 7 but as for you be strong and do not give up for your works will be rewarded in verse 8 when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah son of Obed the prophet he took courage he took courage and he was encouraged or he was strengthened. Well, let me unpack that for you just a bit. Here's the second thing that there's this important principle that we learn in verse three. Look at verse three again. It says, for a time, Israel was without the true God and without a priest to teach and without the law. Can I tell you, like it or not, it's a biblical pattern. Verse two, without leadership pointing to the altar, people drift from God. Without leadership pointing to the altar, People drift from God. God has chosen spirit-anointed leadership, spirit-sanctified leadership to point people back to the ways of God. Now, let's think about this for a second, because if you have a call to spiritual leadership and you have a call to point people to God and you're not pointing them there, then you are going to stand in judgment before God. That's why the Scripture says not many of you should desire to teach. You know, those who teach and those who lead will be judged harsher. They'll be judged by whether or not they've heard from the Spirit of God and whether they've obeyed the voice of God. But the true fact is this, is that without leadership, people drift. That's why I have leaders in my life. I have people speaking to my life. I have people holding me accountable. This is not a pyramid with me at the top and no one else holding me accountable. I'm a man under accountability. I have men who speak into my life and who I run things by, and who I submit to, because that's the way God has designed things to be. Now, look at what Judges describe this, uh, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, describe what the people were like without a leader. And it said this, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. How many know that is a recipe for disaster? Everyone see, everyone did as he saw fit. Because here's the problem. When everyone does what they want to do, nobody agrees. Because we all have opinions. And I'm going to stop the analogy there. But we all have opinions. And we're people of opinions. And we're people who, um, we all uh, have a certain way we want things done. And when we want things done, that's why God sets up leadership and he defines leadership. Because in those days when Israel had no king... Everyone did what they saw fit. It was moral anarchy or it was leadership anarchy. And that simply doesn't work. Breakdown begins to happen. God set in the Old Testament covenant, he set priests. Today he sets pastors, apostles, teachers, and prophets to lead the church. That's who leads the church. Pastors, apostles, pastors, preachers, teachers, apostles, and prophets. And I know I said it wrong, but you know what they are. All five of them. Now, in the Old Testament, God set the Levites and he set the priests. And, and I, I think it's a great example of what the priest should do. Malachi chapter 2 verse 7. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. The lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth, Men should seek instruction 
because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. God has taken men, and, and I believe in, in this day and age, women also, and have made them messengers, have sanctified them, have set them apart to be messengers. And as I said, they have high responsibility, but with that responsibility, they give direction and they ought to point people to the altar. They ought to point people to, to a place of change. They ought to point people to a place of worship. They ought to point people to a place of sacrifice. That's when peace comes to the land. Look at just right by your Bibles there, Second Chronicles chapter 17, just two chapters over. In verse 7 through 9, it gives a description. And we're going to look at verse 9. And, and here's what happened after uh, this. This is what happened as a result of this, uh, this whole reformation and this whole renaissance of the word. It says, talking about the priest, this is talking specifically about the priest, the God-ordained priest. It says, they taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. They went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. I love that because, you know, that might be the first missions movement people have overlooked. It's when the priest took the law and took the took the uh uh, law and went to the different villages and went all through the community to teach people the ways of the Lord. What, what am I trying to, to say or what am I trying to emphasize is this, is that spiritual leadership should point people to the altar. Then when that doesn't happen, people begin to drift. People forget the purpose of the church. People forget the purpose of God and the relationship. But leadership, when it's led by the Spirit, ought to point people back to the place of change and to the point of change. So moving, moving along through here. No, the Lord has several things He wants to say. So here is picking up in verse 7. Now, Asa received encouragement. Now, verse 8. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Obed, he took courage. And this is what he did. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. And I want you to see the sequence there. Because if Asa had only repaired the altar, but had left the adultery there, there would have been no purpose. You see, sometimes you've got to come and you've got to make change and you've got to destroy things that aren't of God and you have to speak to idols and you have to break down idols because adultery gets people's eyes off the Lord. Idolatry gets people's eyes off the altar. Write it down. Number three, there's no need to repair the altar until the idols are destroyed. There's no need to repair the altar until the idols are destroyed. Our God's a singular God. He's a jealous God. He does not want to share His worship with others. He wants to draw worship unto Himself. And it's okay for him to be egocentric because the whole universe revolves around him. We're supposed to be about him. We're supposed to be around him. We're supposed to be uh, centered around God, not ourselves. And the, 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 the problem is, and especially the problem in the day and age you and I live in, is that we want to have God, but idols also. We want the ways of the Lord and we want Jesus, but we also want to uh, coddle other religions and admire other religions, and look for avenues through other religions. We want to serve God when it's convenient, and when it blesses us, and when it is something that brings benefit to us. But can I tell you that when you build the altar of the Lord, if you don't destroy the idols in your life first, there's no need to build the altar. 
Asa said, we are going to go rebuild the altar, but the first thing we're going to do is we're going to destroy the idols. We're going to knock things down that aren't of God. We're going to rearrange things. There's things that are out of place. There's things that don't belong in the house of God. There's things that should not dwell here. And for God's presence to be here, we're going to have to tear down the idols. Can I tell you that Wednesday night, we begin to tear down idols in the Spirit. We begin to claim this room for God. We begin to claim these corners for God because for a breakthrough to happen, we can talk about it and we can imagine it and we can wish for it, but sometimes in the Spirit, you got to speak it out. And you got to speak out the things that aren't of God. And you got to call out the spirits that aren't of God. And you've got to command them to leave and to claim this place for God. Can I tell you that this particular building has been, the, the, the power of man has strived for this building. And they strive for this corner. And they strive for this property. And the power of men have wanted possession on this. Can I tell you that this church doesn't belong to Aaron Allison? This church doesn't belong to the denomination. This church doesn't belong to a leadership board. This is God's church. This is His place. This is where He reigns. He is the one in control. And adultery is going to have to fall. Idolatry is going to have to go for the presence of God. We're going to rebuild the altar. We're going to build a place for the presence of God. A place where men can come and worship God without war, without conflict. Where adultery has gone and there's a place of sacrifice. And God was raising up the standard among His people. So I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today to look at the adultery in your life. Say, God, lay it down. You know what? Some There might be a Sunday or two here that I'm going to work so hard on my sermon during the week. And it's going to be good. And I'm going to have point four and five and six. I'm going to have my illustration. I'm going to have my story. And I like to preach. And it makes me feel good to have you guys tell me after Sunday, oh, great job, Aaron. You're a great speaker. And I'm going to want to preach my sermon. But on that particular Sunday, that sermon might be an idol. You know what? It might be an idol I need to lay down. And I need to let the presence of God begin to flow in people's life. I need to let the Holy Spirit begin to move in these aisles. Not through uh, some kind of manipulation. Or not some kind of uh, insisting on God to do something a certain way. But by His Spirit, He begins to move. And we have to lay down the idols. you got to lay down the idols. Can I say there might be a Sunday penny when you need to just worship with your keyboards? Keyboard. I guess you could play two keyboards. Or Jonathan's guitar, whoever. And whoever's on the worship schedule might have to lay down their instrument that week. It might have been their turn on the rotation, but it's not God's turn. He, he, he wants to do something different. There might be a week when God wants to rearrange things and we might come in here and all of a sudden when you're ready to sing and go, I might start out preaching. What do you, what do you mean? We always start with worship. Is that an idol? Is that an idol? Tear down the idols because we want to build a uh, altar to the Lord, a place for men and women to connect God. Now here, can I preach to myself for a second? All right. I'm going to preach to myself for a second, all right? Some of you know that I hold dear and sacred the noon hour. I do. I love getting out at church before noon. In fact, I get mad at myself when church goes past noon. And I still think, I've got to justify this now, I've got to do some qualifiers that God can move in an hour and a half. I really do, that he can do that. 
that he is so powerful, he created the whole earth, but there might be a time where that becomes an idol in my life. And we've got to lay down the idols. Can I tell you something, people? None of this was in my notes. You know that God's speaking to us right now. And God's speaking. He's saying, I want to build my altar. I want my people to connect with me. I want my people to go to the place. Can I tell you another idol in my life? I don't like preaching this way. I like to talk. I like to joke. I like to be the cool pastor, you know, sipping latte and talking to you. And here I am sweating and screaming and spitting and all this stuff. I don't like doing that. But if that's what God wants, He wants you to lay down the idol. Can I tell you that? I'd rather be the anointed pastor than the cool pastor. You know, I'd rather touch heaven than to touch relevancy. I'd rather touch what God wants than what I want. And that's an idol because we've got to rebuild the altar and come back to the place that God wants us. And let me tell you what's going to happen. When that happens, and you can write it down, number four, a restoration of the altar will draw people. A restoration of the altar will draw people. Look at verse 9. And then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who had settled among them. Now look at this part. For large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Can I tell you that when we rebuild the altar, when we tear down the, the idols, and we create spaces and places and atmospheres for people to connect with God, and God's hand is on our church, that's when supernatural growth will start to come. I'm not talking about church transfer. I'm not talking about simply just marketing techniques. I'm talking about a move of His Spirit where people say that church is marked by God. The music's marked by God. The preaching's marked by God. The children's ministry's marked by God. The youth ministry's marked by God. God, His hand is on that church. God's moving in that church. And we want to be at the place where God is. We don't want to be at the place to be seen. There's plenty of places in our community where you can go to be seen. It's a place to be seen. It's a place to be known. I want to be at the place where God's going to be seen and where God's going to be known and that His presence is going to dwell among us. And that's why we are rebuilding the altar. Here's the last thing I want to say. Here's point five. Is there's a time of rest that's coming. There's a time of rest that is not God's will for this church to dwell in strife. It's not God's will for Christians to fight one another and for just uh, uh, there to be a, a warring spirit and an attitude that's not of God. And read with me verse 15. It says this, and, and, and come on up, our musicians. It says, All Judah rejoiced about the oath. They had sworn it wholeheartedly, and they sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. Now look at this phrase. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Amen. Do you believe God can do that in our church? He can bring a season of rest. Rest from the wars of the world. Rest from the spirit of the world. Rest from the influence of the world. And instead, for there to be a renewal of the things of God, where the altar is the center, where men are connecting to God, they're worshiping God, they're sacrificing to God. I can't wait to see it happen. And look at verse 19. In verse 19 it says, There was no more war. Until the 35th year of the Asa's reign. Can I tell you, there's a season that's coming upon us where there's no more war. Can I tell you, that church is supposed to be a joy. There's some of you, that church has been a burden. 
church has been a burden to you. It's been a place you've wanted to hide from. Can I tell you that there's a place of rest coming. There's a place of joy. That the Lord, there's an altar that God is calling. He's calling a, a new leadership to build an altar to the Lord. To tear down the idols. To call people back to Him. To the place where He is.